Okay, let's go. All right. Welcome to the Theology on Mission podcast. We're broadcasting to you from Northern Seminary, Chicago, Illinois, in the Griffith Conference Room in partnership with Missio Alliance. Griffith Conference Room where? It, what you, I already I said Northern didn't, Seminary. You didn't say where. People all over the country are asking, where? Where's the Griffith Conference Room? It's in the library of Northern Seminary. I already okay. mentioned no, it. No, you didn't. You make such a big deal about it, but I just want everyone to know this room is not that big. It's really big enough for like a little round table that seats about seven oh, but people. It's got a great window. It's got a great window and it's tapestry and some squeeze your neck a little bit. You can see a lake with a Linder Conference Center, blah, blah, blah. Half of, our, half of our view is a brick wall. So so Dave always... Way to bring me down. Yeah, you always, you always want to know that we're in a conference room, but it's really... It, okay. Anyways, this is a quiet room. We move on. So we're going to move on. That introduction is going to be a lot like today's show, which is, it's going to be all over the place. It's kind of a, a justification of our own sorry existence, I think, as evangelicals. So we'll get to that. But, but, but this show is called Get Off the Train. Get Off the Train, or Is It Possible to Be a Part of the Third Way? A Third Way for Evangelicalism. The train is the train is what? What is this train that maybe the train we're is, stuck on? The train is uh, the rail. The rails are are the modern way of doing theology, thinking theology, understanding culture. The rails come from somewhere in Western Europe, across the oceans into the United States. And hey, Canada. way to milk that metaphor. Yeah. I like it. And Good so job. we're all stuck on this same train. And so uh, earlier on my Twitter feed, Fitch Est. Uh, is my Twitter handle, I said something like, you know, I believe evangelical Protestants uh, are moving to progressive Christians, somewhat affiliated with evangelicals. But in the end, the next move is to neo-anabaptism. And uh, I think that's because I believe that evangelicalism and Mainline Protestant liberalism or progressive Christianity are stuck on the same rail, and it's getting us nowhere when we have a new culture uh, coming into place called post-Christendom, not Christendom, where the rational structures and the ways of thinking in those two other forms work. Well, and I'm a little more skeptical. We were talking about this earlier. I'm a little more skeptical about the natural progression between the three that you end up with, neo-anabaptism in some sense, whatever that may be, which will fill that out. But I certainly agree with that there's a sense that we're moving back and forth and back and forth between uh, conservative evangelicalism and progressivism. Or as I've heard before, you scratch a liberal and you find a fundamentalist, which is usually the person who has uh, been raised most conservatively, most guardedly, reacting, overreacting, and becoming a liberal. Uh, there uh, are actually progressive. Some a progressive, and so there Lib- are nobody likes the word liberal, even me. Okay, so 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 I see that happening quite a bit. But is there a natural progression to the third? So, but why don't we talk a little bit about well, these first two? Why is it that they're on the same train? I mean, I have a lot of theories about this, but you know, basically, uh, Kant and Schleiermacher come from the same railroad track. So this is right. now you're talking about enlightenment rationality, yeah, enlightenment I mean, philosophers. So, so evangelicals, so mainly out of the 20s, wanted to uh, hitch their wagon, hitch their train car to the engine of propositions. 
to the engine of correspondence theory of truth. Hard truth, hard propositions, and if any experience comes into conflict with it, well, they use the Bible like an anvil and they beat the crap out of the experience and get it into shape so that it aligns with the propositions. Uh, so enough of on, that. Enough of on, that. Wait, wait, wait. Just so everyone can have the historical background uh, correctly, is a lot of evangelical epistemology or rationality comes from Scottish common sense realism. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Not from the uh, Kantian form. It's the sense that what I see is Half the real. people have turned the podcast off, right? <laughs> what I see is... I just want... For those who care, uh, the epistemological roots of evangelicalism don't come from Kant. They are actually okay. reacting against Kant. But let's talk practically now. Think about all the fundamentalists in Southern Baptist land, all of whom I love. Think about how they grew up in this church uh, where the Bible reigns supreme as a pile of propositions that we're going to beat the crap out of you with on Sunday morning. Think about any kind of sexual issues or experiential issues or doubt issues or anything that you are feeling and 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 there's that sense that this is what the bible says believe it and claim it and and that's enough or get out and so discipleship is merely telling people what to think right and so those people are making their way out the back door over to where they have not they've never had their experience validated and they live in a world basically post 60s world where experience is king this is the world of Frederick Schleiermacher where and and, and so now experience becomes this root raw neutral uh, database from which to construct a theology from. I'm experiencing it, I'm feeling it, it must be true and I feel liberated from those blankety-blank expletives Southern Baptists who, who, you know, who were trying to control the, the crap out of me. I'm finding it hard not to swear on this podcast. At yeah, all. please But don't. anyways, anyways uh, you, you get what I'm saying here. And so there's this natural progression, isn't there? You tell me. From evangelical fundamentalism to progressive Christian uh, slash sometimes liberalism. Right. Well, I don't know if it's a natural progression. I would more say that uh, they're playing the same game. They're playing by the same rules. So Nancy, uh, was it Nancy Murphy? Murphy you know, wrote a book called uh, Beyond. Uh, oh well, now I can't even think of it. Uh, uh, Beyond fundamentalism and liberalism something. is that maybe? We'll, we'll find it up and put it in the show notes. Uh, but she was basically saying both uh, conservative evangelicals and progressives function in the same rationality so there's the same a similar search for truth a similar way of understanding right. things except for one uh, uses truth uses the Bible as an authority and the other one uses scripture as an authority so there's different Bi- authorities Bible but, and scripture I mean Bible and experience okay. sorry Bible and experiences uh, so there uh, there's all these different uh, ways of, of viewing and engaging the world but you just change out a couple of variables but they're all still right. the same and, 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 and so if I can just make my next point. Can I make my next point? Are you ready yes. for my next point? No, okay. I'm not ready. But basically, basically, this stuff works. Either way, propositions, evangelical fundamentalism, experience, Protestant mainline liberalism or progressive Christianity, both of it works really well when we're all Christians and we're all raised in Christianity and we have a Christendom structure and a Christendom culture so that all of our experience is shaped and formed into relative... Uh, common experience, common, common language. Uh, it works 
proposition. Everybody, you know, everyone's got the same interpretation. We're all one. We got this Christendom thing. Even in the 20s and 30s when the, when the fundamentalist modernist controversies were, were erupting, yeah. still it worked. Experience still worked because we, we weren't coming into church on Sunday morning with uh, this diverse, often disruptive, sometimes perverted, capitalistic, consumeristic, who knows what else, perverted experiences that we're dealing with because the world has splintered into a hundred different faction, fraction, factions. Fractions too, by the way. <laughs> I don't do math. So I guess the point here is that when we move from Christendom to post-Christendom, we have to once again gain an integrity from some place other than a unified cultural construct like Christendom, where the propositions and the experiences are all coming from the same place. And we have no we have no real conflict. Now we have multiple experiences, multiple sexualities, multiple pluralisms, multiple this, multiple that. More. Even justice doesn't mean the same for me as it does down the street for the person who's not a white uh, American, majority American, privileged American. I mean, now we're even aware that justice doesn't even mean the same thing. Even people like me who are white realize I am now, if not... Um, I am now a subjectivity. I am now um, a person, a white male privileged, and I have to realize the place from which I come. So you put all that together, and we now have to have a different place. Uh, we have to have a community uh, that lives life and that works it out and discerns the realities of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what it means for our context, my context. And my context in Westmont, Illinois now, since we moved from Life of the Vine, is quite a bit different from northwest suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. where Life of the Vine is. So that now means that I have to be communally engaged. I have to uh, think through uh, what I mean, how to relate, how to engage my culture. And so really it becomes uh, a Christianity of cultures as opposed to culture. And uh, uh, words become very important. And the whole frame that we did things, which was basically we could we could do individual Christianity. You know, in evangelical fundamentalism, the individual rules supreme. In progressive Christianity, still, despite our emphasis on justice, the individual experience and the liberation of that experience to full flourishing and validation is still supreme. But now that um, we don't all have the same culture to relate to, we understand Individuals are now um, split all over the place. And so that whole framework is falling apart. And we need a new frame. And this is why I feel like the most misunderstood person on the face of the earth half the time when I'm talking. Because I think a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people are still stuck in the mainframe of Christendom, evangelical fundamentalism, progressive Christianity. And so the, the main move that we need, that we're proposing for everyone here is to get off the train in the sense of the, the, the train of enlightenment rationality, which is centered around individuals. On the one hand, it's the individual center of rationality and propositional truth of which we come to scripture and we find these truths, or the individual center of experience and subjectivity, um, which can't be tested or criticized in any fashion because it's absolute. But either way, those are still on the same train heading to the same place, which is usually just some sort of isolated sense of freedom or, or whatever. 
But we have to get off that train, and the way to do that is not to do it individually, but to do it communally, is actually to enter into robust communities where the individual sense of truth is discerned amongst others and tested for blind spots, right. tested for errors, tested against scripture, and that the individual center of experience is sanctified and tested and challenged for uh, the truth of uh, and this happens in communities. And so yeah. is this kind of the third way that you sometimes think about, or is this not the third way? What no, else is the third no. way? So uh, if I can call it neo-anabaptism, it's not anabaptism. It's not the Mennonite USA Church. It's not, you know, historic Anabaptist, historic Anabaptist tribes. Um, neo-anabaptism is, is kind of focusing on, on numerous things, but, uh, well, well, in... in um, uh, prodigal Christianity, we said it was uh, local communities of witness. It was um, the gospel. You know, the gospel is th- this huge thing. N.T. Wright says God is at work making the whole... God, God has come in Christ to fulfill his promise to make the world right. And in and through Jesus Christ, we inhabit that, we live that, and we bring that into the world. And so... Um, Neo-Anabaptism is this uh, community-centered place. Tradition means something different now. We are extending tradition as opposed to enforcing tradition. Uh, It's still important to be historically connected, not only to the church but to Jesus Christ. But it's an extension of the incarnation as opposed to an enforcement of a set of beliefs and orthodoxy. Not that that isn't part of it. So, um, yeah, neo-anabaptism, post-liberalism, Wittgenstein, these kind of these these radical sense that we are living in communities, a lot like the Apostle Paul was doing when he was uh, being uh, a missionary to bring communities to every part of the ends of the earth. That's how we are to live with that sense of mission. In a community, continually on mission, moving forward, but in a different direction, on a different like off the rails. Right, so a lot of times this feels out of control, misunderstood. We're we're off of the normal path of how church has done things. I think so. A lot of times people aren't going to come to us and say, "You are questioning my absolute center of subjective experience. How dare you do such a thing?" Right. So they're not saying things like that, but they will. But they will say uh, things like, uh, "How can you challenge?" my experience or how can you you know I need they're implicitly saying I need you to validate what, what I've experienced or gone through right what are other kind of situations or stories where people look at you cross-eyed when you when you don't assume necessarily that what they have experienced is absolutely true well I think that um, um, you know when you go from being a Christendom Christian to a post-Christian Christian, you kind of accept, you know, the, the word exile is now popular. You kind of accept that you are an exile, that you are a minority, and you're okay with it. And you're a person of peace, and you're not out to uh, become a culture warrior to take the United States back for Jesus. You're out to give witness to what God's doing in the world and calling the United States of America, or, or probably to get more local, calling uh, and living out the kingdom and calling my my block and my neighbor, my neighborhood and my village to be to see and understand and embody and join in with the kingdom of God 
it's very it, we go from this global like we talked in the last podcast from this very global sense of justice to this very local sense of justice God's going to work it out space by place space place by place uh, inhabitation by inhabitation for the kingdom of God so I'm not working on national politics anymore. I'm not working on denominational structures, although I'm, more, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a great denomination that extends mission and resources. I'm working for the engagement of, of, the, of my local place where I live for the kingdom of God. And that means engaging all the world's injustices and living a reconciled life and proclaiming the gospel uh, wherever the opening in the space is offered through uh, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Is this making any sense? We knew this was uh, going to be a risky thing to try and develop on a podcast, but our, we, we probably need to bring it to a resolution. Well, so two things. One is how, uh, what are some, what's the takeaway? We were kind of thinking, well, what's the takeaway for this? How do we get it? We're just trying to throw it out there that evangelicals and progressives are usually in the same corner, even though they think they're opposed to each other, they're usually in the same corner uh, because they have the same conceptual mentality. And uh, so how, what are some practical ways that we could ask ourselves questions like, if I, uh, my posture in this conversation, is it just totally, is it, can you reverse it and we're doing the same thing? Um, or are we moving into a, a different way, into a third way, or something like that? Yeah, I mean, all the ways that we're used to living in the world, all the ways we're used to navigating culture, uh, under Christendom, are we basically have to be willing to at least entertain the possibility of giving them up? And we have to now see the church as this vibrant place, this community where the kingdom is going to break out. And we who are leading communities uh, need to spend our efforts doing that uh, as opposed to uh, trying to vote Republican or Democrat uh, don't get me wrong, there will be times we will engage government. There will be times when we engage local government. Uh, but it will have to come forth from our convictions out of living life in an actual locale where we can actually display what we're talking about. Because people are not going to always understand what we mean by God, by Jesus, by reconciliation, by forgiveness, by the renewal of all things. Um, and so we need to be. We need to start locally as opposed to any place else, and that means gathering. I like to refer to pastors as um, political organizers for the kingdom. We're gathering people to live out the kingdom before a local place, and out of that, God will draw people to Himself. Did I answer your question? Is that the practical thing? So well, yeah. So on the one hand. Uh, well, just encouragement for all 17 people whom this makes sense to is it's not going to make sense to other people. Most people are going to misunderstand. If you're in a more progressive or liberal context, they're all going to think you're a fundamentalist. If you're in a more fundamentalist context, everyone's going to think you're progressive because you're challenging their assumptions. You're trying to call them into new ways of living, and they're just going to assume the worst in you. Hardly ever will someone assume the best in you. So the takeaway that we've experienced. Be okay and, with that. And that you are, the listener, are probably experiencing and have experienced also is be okay with the lonely, misunderstood existence because we're in exile. We're trying to move forward in this post-Christian place. And, 
And let's all do it together. Let's all be lonely and misunderstood together. How does that sound? And that sounded really boring and, well, depressing and boring at the same time. So this was not a good podcast to advertise the <laughs> way of neo-anabaptism. <laughs> okay, good. Well, so a couple, uh, a couple uh, announcements. So we've been doing the Missional Learning Commons for many years. You, uh, David, primarily started that uh, almost, what, 10 years, ten years ago? ago? So and there's another one coming up October 23rd and 24th. Of 2015, and our theme is going to be on preaching, the mission of preaching. So be sure to follow. Preaching and mission. How preaching and preaching, mission. The mission of yes. How does preaching shape congregations for mission, and how does preaching sometimes not shape congregations for mission? And how we preach, I think, is really, really important for the the raising up, sustaining, and sending out of congregations in the mission. So be sure to follow the Theology on Mission Facebook page and sign there you can sign up for our newsletter so that you don't miss any of the details on the Mission Learning Commons and other things that are coming up. Before we wrap up, though, we want to, uh, and it's interesting because we picked these books basically before we knew what, what we were talking about as the ones we're reading. But uh, so what are you reading, Dave? Phil well, um, I picked up, uh, I don't know, four weeks ago, Luke Bretherton, who's now at Duke. Uh, his book, Hospitality as Holiness, I just want to say, Luke, I think this book is great. I know it's your dissertation, but uh, and it's, it's kind of written like a dissertation, but the way it expands and develops the idea of hospitality, and of course we're dealing with... Uh, He's dealing with uh, McIntyre versus O'Donovan a lot in the book, which interests me as two, one philosopher, one a theologian, and how we engage culture. So uh, it basically constructs this idea of hospitality versus tolerance as the way Christianity engages those we disagree with. That's a book worth reading. If you're into some thick theology, I recommend it. Hospitality is Holiness, Luke Bretherton, 2005 or six, I think it is. So and I just picked up, actually just today, I was thinking about uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral this morning, surprisingly. Uh, and you know this guy, Don Thorson, right? I know him. Yeah. Don, Don Thorson. We love you. We, uh, he wrote a great book uh, that I'm just starting about, just basically titled The Wesleyan Quadrilateral, um, which focuses on uh, the four quadrants uh, for theological method, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. I'm teaching uh, the courses on... Christian theology next fall at Northern at Northern Seminary. What room am I in? Do you want me to name that again? What room are we in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but so I've been thinking a lot about theological method, which actually plays into the discussion we've been having. What what is our theological method when it comes to evangelicals and progressives and all these things? And he has a really interesting point on experience, which I found fascinating. But we'll just have to read that that book for later. Yeah. So uh, that's it. We're going to skip Fitch versus Fitch today. I'm going to let you off the hook just this one time. Really? Uh, oh, do you want me to do it? Okay, we'll just do it. It's an easy one. Well, not really. It goes right in line. I see it. Yeah, yeah. gave it to me. So here we go. Uh, and this came actually came out of a conversation uh, that we were having just yesterday. But Fitch versus Fitch, you wrote on Facebook, Millennials have no... That's a terrible impersonation. Millennials have no theology. <laughs> yeah. Theolo- millennials... Have no theology until it's too late. Yeah. End quote. So you just threw a whole generation under the bus. How can you do that? Ouch. I probably shouldn't have done that. And I probably, I repent for saying that. Uh, I think I was kind of like thinking to myself um, that a lot of millennials, okay, just to play off this conversation we just had, a lot of millennials are, are, are 
ex-evangelicals living into progressive Christianity, which is a reactionary, in my view, a lot of it is built on the reaction to evangelical fundamentalism. And by the time we get into real problems, we need positive, constructive, substantive theology that can carry us somewhere. And so once the anger's gone, what do we got? Or once the reaction's gone, what do we got? That's what I fear goes on a lot of times in a lot of the... Uh, and so a lot of, a lot of the time we have a reaction against a reaction against a reaction, and there's no positive, thoughtful movement going on here. There's no substantive theology. Yeah. There's just multiple reactions. So it was a grotesque overgeneralization. I apologize to every millennial that's listening to this podcast, and you probably won't be listening anymore. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> but but there, is, there is some truth in it, not just for millennials, but for everyone, is that oftentimes our theology comes too late, it comes under-resourced, and it, it, it comes to us as a reaction rather than as some thoughtful, uh, productive movement um, of faithfulness according to God's Word and uh, how the Spirit is leading. So I think there is a, there is a lesson for all of us to be learned there, <laughs> I'm to but say, maybe not generalized against all millennials. Yeah, yeah, I'm tempted to say some of my best friends are millennials. <laughs> are you looking at me? I'm on the cusp. No, I did not. I'm on the cusp. Yeah. Cusp millennial. All right, well, that's it for today. Uh, you can find Dave and I on Facebook, on Twitter. He's at Fitchist, and I'm at Jeff Holsclaw. Uh, until next time, Dave Fitch, Jeff Holsclaw. So long, everybody. From Northern Seminary. Goodbye.